Hello and welcome to Ahead of the Curve. This is Jonathan Gellner, and thank you so much for joining us. This podcast is powered by Stick and Ball TV, the baseball and softball streaming platform. If you haven't checked it out, there are hundreds of videos and a ton of great content waiting just for you. And the cool part, it's all updated weekly. Check it out at stickandball.tv or on the Stick and Ball TV mobile app. For today's show, we have on Alan Jager, founder of Jager Sports. Alan founded Jager Sports on the principle that athletes needed to develop both their physical and mental skills in order to be successful in games. Since 1991, Alan, as both a personal trainer and consultant, has worked with well over 200 professional players, including 2002 Cy Young Award winner Barry Zito and All-Stars Dan Heron and Andrew Bailey. Alan also consults with many schools and professional organizations. Alan's intention is to help athletes merge the mechanics of the Western athlete with the insight of the Far Eastern mind and to position athletes to best realize their potential both on and off the field. So on the show, we extensively cover all things mental game, including meditation, visualization, routines, self-talk, and awareness. Not only do we go over the methodology behind it, Alan puts it all on the table for us with countless practical drills and scenarios that you can take to practice tomorrow. Here's Alan Jager. Alan, welcome to the show. Hey, man. Thanks for having me, Jonathan. It's a, it's an honor, and uh, I'm looking forward to talking some, some mental game. Well, thank you. I appreciate that, and, and I'm excited uh, to be talking with you as well. But let's go ahead and jump right in. So define the mental game for us. I'm glad you asked because I think this alone is a, a very important start to, you know, give people clarity as far as, okay, the mental game, I know it's important, you know, but, but really what is it? And what I've tried to do is to keep it really simple, digestible, if you will, is to just break it down into two major categories. Um, category one is game management and a lot of people that play golf can relate to that because of course management, you know, game management is basically what strategies do you use or utilize in order to optimize your performance. And, you know, people hear a lot now about things like, you know, be process oriented, not result oriented. And, you know, back in the day it was pitch to pitch. So I think that's more about the strategic part of the game. And then <clears throat> the second part um, or second category is mental practice. And that's just like, any other practice, you know, what are you going to do? Get, what are you going to do to get better at ground balls and fly balls and, and throwing and batting practice and getting stronger? So you're obviously going to practice if you want to be a better guitar player. You're going to practice. So so mental practice is part two. And I always tell people that to me, it's where the rubber hits the road for the most part. And the reason I say that is because it's great to have great strategies in place. And of course, those are very, very important. But if you don't have a practice every day to help build certain skills like relaxation and clarity and getting quiet and being more present or learning how to deal with disruptive or distractive thoughts, like if you don't have a practice at that, it's hard to get better at those skills. And, and needless to say, we're talking about life now. We're talking about having a practice every day to, you know, start being healthier and, and again, more clear minded, more relaxed, more focused in life. So. I think just to start with, because I know we're going to delve more into these topics, um, mm -hmm. just good up front for people that grasp this idea that, oh, the mental game is X. No, the mental game is your strategies, you know, in performance. Um, and then what kind of a practice do you have to support those strategies, but also just to build countless mental health or mental health skills, if you will. So it hopefully gave you clarity because if it gives you clarity, then I hope it gives the listeners clarity. <laughs> sure. No, I love that. And I, I, I'm glad that you mentioned it with starting with that because I feel really guilty whenever I think about myself, uh, maybe let's see, five or six years ago, whenever I was, whenever I was really first getting into, into coaching and I was in, and I was in charge of this freshman group and we would call the middle game is where it would be too cold and we would go to my classroom and I would click play on Brian Kane videos, which, you know, were really good at the time. And that would be our entire mental game of all the stuff that we would do. And 
I, you know, I look back and I'm like, well, it's better than nothing. But then whenever you mentioned it with, you know, providing clarity and mindfulness and all of these things that are so helpful in everything inside of baseball, but also outside of baseball. And so I just, I love that, that you had, that you added that in there and that that's included in your definition, but don't you feel like that's just super important, especially, you know, we're going through COVID-19 still, and there's, you know, a lot of our players haven't played in a year and, and just kind of tell us about why it is even more important to do this now. Well, look, man, for starters, and I love the fact that as a coach, and we'll get into this later too, I know, but I love the fact, and Brian's a good buddy of mine, I love the fact that you you were aware just to know, you know, with, with inclement weather to put on mental game stuff. I mean, think about that's already <laughs> a good start as far as the advancement of the mental game from 30 years ago when I started. But but look, the, the bottom line is this. Um, we need to start looking at the mental game, not only no different than any other part of the game, but we need to put a premium on it, of course. And and with COVID, and you know, our vice president, uh, China McCarney, who has his own nonprofit, Athletes Against Anxiety and Depression, it just, you could feel this stuff coming up just more and more and more. And the numbers that are out there on, you know, the effects on mental health, um, you know, are pretty alarming. You know, when you start hearing about um, the depth of what a lot of uh, the population is dealing with, understandably so. So I guess to answer your question is that we not only need to look at the mental game because it's such a huge part of the game. You know, again, we can say it's at least 90% or more. And I would argue it's 99% at the big league level. Mm-hmm. But we got to remember that this is first and foremost about life. I mean, we're humans first before we're the athlete, right? So we have to address, and I'm going to steal that from Gabe Kapler, <laughs> shout out to Gabe, but, you know, you got to address the, sorry, you got to address the human being first and then deal with the athlete. And I think if we just keep that in mind, and I'm not saying people don't keep that in mind, but I think that we have to keep bringing that topic up. And we have to start looking at the, you know, these kids, we don't know what's, what's going on in their minds. Right. And I think, and this is something I'm shout out to Scott Brown. I think this is something that you, you prod. I think that's something Scott mentioned in the podcast I did with sheets on stick and ball about this, this idea of being aware, asking the question, Hey, how you doing today? I mean, Scott's just classic. If you say, you know, I'm doing pretty well, he's not going to take that. Like, unless it was really, really, really sincere, he's going to dig. He's going to dig in in a nice way. He's going to dig in in a caring way, in a, in a supportive way. So I think that, again, this theme of mental game, which, yes, we want to all be better players and, and, and optimize our abilities and all the hard work we do in practice and all the, all the hours the coaches put into teaching and recruiting. Of course, we want to do better on the field. But I think that maybe this theme is just going to keep coming up. Oh, definitely. And I know that the last couple of years, it seems to be a big push between, you know, you build a better man, build a better baseball player, and, and same thing with, with softball, build a better girl, you build a better woman, and, and you build a better softball player as well. So that's just, you know, something that, that I think that this not only helps them, again, on the field, it helps them off the field, which, which we're always looking for things to be able to do that. So, you know, one thing, a mutual friend of ours, uh, T Graham, Tyler Graham, uh, has, he like, we went to instructs, he was my roommate and we were like, he, he spoke nothing of just everything Alan Jager. And so, <laughs> and so I got my, you know, uh, every day was filled with, with different Jagerisms, I guess you could say. And so <laughs> I, he, he was part of that Oregon state group that was a player with, with Pat Casey in the early, you know, mid two thousands, and then came back as a, as a coach and then was a hitting coach. And so he is a firm believer and that is what separated them from everybody else. And that was. I mean, he was like staunch firm in this. And I was like, man, you guys are really talented. And he, and he just said, not when I got there, you know, we weren't what we are or who they're pulling in today. And so we had some different discussions about it, which I thought was really neat, but it was so interesting. And it was really eye opening for me to get to hear someone who has lived that and seen that. And, and you were a part, big part of that as well. And so I'd love to hear your thoughts is 
being able to master yourself, being able to have clarity on a field and to not get too big of, uh, in the moment and all of these different things that we'll talk about, self-talk and self-awareness, visualization. Is that what separates great te- good, good teams from great teams? First of all, you have to look at the culture. Well, let me answer your question first and then we can talk about Oregon State. The answer to your question is yes. I, I feel like that no matter how great your team is, you want to sustain it. You want to be more consistent. You want to hopefully elevate it even more. You want them to be able to deal with uh, adversity if it comes up. So um, I, I think, again, if you look at it, the mental game is 90% of the game or more. Even if you have a great team on paper and, and great players and great people, if we're still saying the game is 90% or more, well, we're saying that every three or four hours a day in practice, time how much time are you putting into that 90 percent of the game so whether it's a a mediocre team being much better or a good team being great or a great team being off the charts elite um, to me it's always going to come back to the mental game can be a vital factor in elevating the program so with oregon state you have pat casey you know, who is just an unbelievable coach, unbelievable coach uh, culture. You have Pat Bailey, who has been by Pat's side for 20 plus years. Unbelievable coach. And oh, by the way, you had the pitching coach of the year. It wasn't two years in a row. It was one plus a finalist <laughs> in Nate mm-hmm. Yeske. Um, and I mean, and Andy Jenkins, another great coach. I mean, you had a staff there and then you had T. Cram. I mean, you had a staff, you had players. So, so one thing I want to be clear about before I went up there the first year I worked with them, <laughs> I had, you know, I'd done some work with them in, in Surprise, Arizona in the fall or in the, in the early spring and maybe when they're here at UCLA and USC. But, you know, the first time I went up there, the only time I went up there for like a six day period, they were already like 45 and four. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I had, and I'm glad I get to tell the story because I get to talk about Ken Ravisa, who like so many people has had such an influence on so many people. And I actually, this is the only time in my career I've actually thought about not doing something because the team was rolling. And I just feel like based on everything I teach that, you know, something's happening and and flowing, you just want to let it be. And I actually talked to Ken. I happened to be at his place because I was helping him get, this is, a, this is a really funny side story it's turning into, but I was <laughs> helping Ken out to get on Twitter. <laughs> nice. So I was at his place. And long story short is I asked him about the Oregon State deal, about, you know, Coach Casey uh, having me come up. And Nate Yeski, don't get me wrong, he's a, he's a dear friend of mine. and He played a huge role in bridging it. But the fact that Case wanted me to come, I asked Ken. I said, Ken, I'm I, this is the first time I've ever been confused, like about taking something on when I just want to let the thing breathe because they're, like I said, they're like 45 and four. <laughs> and he said something we all never forget, and it was vintage Ken. And he said, he said, did Pat Casey ask you to come up to work with the team? And I said, yes. He said, does Pat Casey know his team? Well, and I said, yes. And it was like, whoa. Mm, that's great. That one got me. And so I didn't think twice about it. I mean, after that, I went up there. And so I just want to make it clear that Oregon State had an amazing team, amazing culture. But as T. Graham has told you, and and, and I, based on his feedback over the course of, you know, the rest of that season, which is when they went to the College World Series and then the following seasons when they won the whole thing. You know, the one thing I've always told, and this is, this is cool because I know we've talked about this topic. Um, what was great is I was up there for six days and we hammered the meditation and some other things, but the T-Gram was there to carry the torch, so to speak, and keep the sessions going and make it a daily part of the practice plan shout out sheets in Georgia Gwinnett College, right? Like it's a daily <laughs> part of the practice. It's part of the practice plan every day. So, so T. Graham took that and look, look T. Graham had a background in transcendental meditation. He was already into it. Um, so 
the fact that, but, but he and I talked for hours and hours on integrating and troubleshooting. And, and it was beautiful because he was up there on the ground and we were able to kind of tweak it and play with it. And he, he would send me like recordings. And, um, and so I guess, I, I don't know, I got a, a little bit of a tangent, which happens sometimes, but um, the moral of the story is, is they had an incredible culture. But as you know, from Tgram, the fact that these kids had a place to go every day to meditate, to get quiet, to breathe, to clear their mind, to relax, to talk about these things. To me, I feel like, and obviously T. Graham has talked to you about this plenty, but it made a huge difference. I know, you know, we're to, you know, the hitters and the pitchers, you know, all they all have different angles, and the fact that they could all apply um, mental training and mental practice, and it become <clears throat> for it to become part of the culture, so to speak. The fact that Coach Case brought me up with it was the series before the regional started and they're 45 and four again or whatever the numbers were and i think also that was a statement even though i'd worked with the team before and there was familiarity and all that stuff but i don't know there was something to that like him saying look guys we're not you know we're not sitting on anything we still want to get better you know what i mean like i think there was something very powerful powerfully symbolic even if it was very subtle about that you know what i mean like that was looking mm -hmm. back that was sort of interesting i don't know and it, it sort of is goes back to something we talked about earlier which is this idea if you're a coach um to you know that how important it is to buy in and, and and i think it sent a message to the team that he's bringing somebody up sure. anyway sorry for the long tangent but hopefully no no it's it's that's perfect it leads right into my next question which was how do we implement it? And I was going to say, well, you know, we've got coaches who are getting ready for their seasons. And, and then you tell the Pat Casey story of where he's bringing you and they're already, a, you know, a, a number one in, in the country and they've won 45 games and lost four. So I guess that takes that excuse off of the board for those of us who are listening to it in the preseason. But <laughs> let, let me throw that out there for you. So where do we start? So we have a lot of listeners who are intrigued because that's why they're listening. And so help us if we, you know, if we have a coach who is wanting to start implementing some, some things now, or, or we'll go full, full in, but they don't really have much of a background in it. Where would we start? Number one. And I love this question, Jonathan, number one, just open mind. And of course, if they're listening to this, they probably already have an open mind, but have an open mind and two don't worry about being perfect don't worry about like it has to be a certain way just know that any form of effort to where you're just trying your best to learn a few bullet points a few tricks to just i don't want to say right, let me take back the word tricks but you know just a few concepts that you can learn how to lay your kids down and take them through a breathing exercise even if it's five minutes to start with um, I think the most important thing, as you know, is getting through the door and just saying, hey, and here's a word I love, vulnerability. You know, vulnerability, I think 50 years ago was not seen as a strength. And I think now we're starting to realize the word vulnerability is a strength when mm -hmm. you allow yourself to be vulnerable. And I think as a coach, if you can allow yourself to be vulnerable, that maybe you won't do it perfectly. But you're trying, and more importantly than anything, is you're bringing this, this new field, if you will, or this new practice to your team, and you're saying, hey, guys, I care. You know, I, I may not be great at it right away, but, you know, I'm going to learn as we go. We're going to do some breathing exercises. We might do some visualization. We might do some affirmations, but we're, you know, might do some visualizations. But whatever we do, we're going to work at this every day. And I just think that that is sort of step one for coaches to sort of to, to be okay with this idea of implementing something that they may not know very well, they may not think they're going to be, well, I shouldn't say that they may not think they're going to be great at it, but they may not think they know much about it. Mm -hmm. But if they just have an open mind and say, you know what, I can listen to this podcast, you know, we, we're going to go through a very basic sort of exercise you can implement. But nowadays on, on YouTube or podcasts, I mean, there's endless amounts of information about how to implement a meditation or a breathing exercise. And I just think that it, it, maybe they don't feel like their voice is, is great or, you know what I'm saying? They're, 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 as mm -hmm. you know, there could be a lot of reasons why they, they don't want to do it. But I think if they can get to a point 
and look at the highest good. What is the highest good? Well, five minutes of this a day, and hopefully it becomes more like 10 or 15 or 20 minutes of this, becomes really beneficial for my kids' mental health and well-being on and off the field. And I think that's sort of the rub. If you can just stay in that lane and say, you know what, I got to start with this, which is this can, and, and I know it sounds a little dramatic to say this, but I'm telling you, I've been doing this for 30 years. Life-changing. Mm -hmm. You might change someone's life in one five-minute <clears throat> breathing exercise. Um, I think luckily nowadays, it just feels like this is very mainstream and this is starting, I think, to, to really grow like a wave. And so you're not, you're not going to feel like there's a stigma behind it. You're not going to feel like you're the only one doing it. Um, I guess just to circle back to this one point and then, and then I'll, I'll, I'll come back to you with this. <laughs> you're good, you're good. Highest good, highest good. High, what is the highest good? The highest good is if I can listen to one podcast or learn one five-minute breathing exercise and share that with my players every day at the field. I kind of look at it now like if you're a coach, I just feel like this is part of the detail, right? Like this is part of your accountability or your responsibility. And I don't mean that in any kind of a guilty way. That would be anything in life. Like if you can sure. learn something that's going to help improve the player's mental health or physical health or anything, then of course you want to do that, right? That's that's why we teach. We teach to impact people's lives. And there's there's two things that I that I really want to to add to that because I, I think that you did a fantastic job of, of really outlining, you know, what it is and and why we should do it. And you know the the vulnerability piece. I heard Brene Brown talk uh, a little while ago, and and she you know she's a rock star, and and I love listening to her her talk about it. But this is she's kind of the vulnerability person. I feel like because. Uh, she's just kind of, I don't know how she got that label or whatnot, but, but that's who I think of whenever I hear the term, term vulnerability. But she mentioned that it's the last thing that we, that we allow other people to see, but it's the first thing that other people look for in us to create those connections around and, and uh, just around the clubhouse or, or with your coworkers or wherever it's at. That's one of the first things that people are looking for. They're looking for someone that they can connect with. And that's a big connector within that. And another thing that, that this is where I changed, or I at least started to get interested in mindfulness. And I'm, I'm reading Tim Ferriss's book, Tools of Titans, which I'm sure you know this story too. But he, he mentioned that he started it because he found that 60 to 70% of the people in his book, which it's Tools of Titans for a reason. It's people that he's interviewed that are millionaires, billionaires, and, and really titans of industry in their fields. They all practice some sort of mindfulness. And for, for a long time, I just kind of dismissed that. And I was like, yeah, you know, what? well, they've got time in it. And then yeah, it just it became an excuse. And then finally, last year, I started to do more. And then this year, I've really dedicated, you know, 10 minutes every morning to be able to do that. And I, it's kind of the, the least amount that some people do, but it's, it's been good for me. And, and I know that it's something that, that has been very, very helpful, but we also have players who are, you know, teenagers and they've got, if they're male, they've got a ton of testosterone and they're way too cool. And, and girls are the same thing. You know, they're way too cool. I taught teenagers for years and, and they all think that, that they, they just don't want to, they don't want to put off any sort of I'm not cool vibe. And so how do we sell it to them? Like, how do we make, how do we get them to buy in on something that I don't know? It just like, I'm looking back as a teenager and I, unless I had a great relationship with a coach, then I may not have tried it. And I may, and a lot of our coaches may have great relationships with their team, which is great. But also at the same time, how do we, how do we try and get everyone to start pulling on the same rope and to really, you know, get everybody on board with this? It's a great question. And there's a total irony to the answer. And before I give it to you, I'm so glad you mentioned, I know her last name is Brown. What's her first name again? Brene Brown. Mm -hmm. Okay. So guess what? I tape 60 minutes. Can we say tape? TVR? <laughs> I DVR 60 <laughs> minutes. Tape was uh, in the 80s, but I still like to say it. But no, I tape 60 minutes every week. And she was in an episode about maybe six months ago. And 
boom, it's exactly where I got the vulnerability piece from was, was mm -hmm. her. She's great. And, um, and I, I love what you said about first and last. I mean, we're, 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 it's like people are looking for that openness and warmth, right? And that, that freedom from somebody else being vulnerable. And yet we're like, isn't it weird how it works? Um, but to answer well, your and, question. And, and with, yeah. with that, sorry to interrupt, but I, I think oh, with yeah. that, whenever I hear vulnerability, the first thing I think of is someone who's soft. That's like, oh, I'm just being so vulnerable right now. But it's like, no, it's just, you're not afraid to admit that you messed something up. Or you're not afraid to admit whenever you don't know something. And so I, it's almost like taking ego out of it, I guess. And I wanted to, you know, add that while we're talking about it, because it's, it's something that I had that thought too, until she really explained it. And I started doing more digging into it, but, but sorry for the interruption. No, no, I'm glad you said that because I think that that is, I think vulnerability, like you said, it's one of those words that's completely misconstrued and it's seen, it's seen in many ways as a negative when it's a massive positive. And that was the takeaway I also got from her in the 60 Minutes episode. And it makes so much sense. And all of a sudden, you're, you're just having a conversation with somebody. The fact that you can be vulnerable, there's so much natural power to that. And it's so authentic. That's the other thing I know. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure she had brought up. It's just there's an authenticity about that that is unmistakable. And um you can feel it like the vibrations are so much more powerful when you're talking to someone when they're vulnerable. Anyway, I'm really glad you brought that up. I, I think that's that was a, a great piece you added. So the irony of your question is this. When I first started doing this, I, I feel like it was a very tough sell to the kids. Co coaches or not, it was a tough sell to the kids. I think coaches, because they'd played the game, um, were still receptive. They weren't as receptive, I think, as maybe they are now. But I think back then, I don't think the coaches were, were as a really tough sell. I think the kids were, were more difficult. I think nowadays with the internet and how fast stuff moves, I, I just feel like kids are actually ready for this. I feel like they're ready for this at very young ages. And I think it's our projection, so to speak, as coaches. I think the coaching world's projection onto whether the kids will like it or not, or feel silly, or will they buy in and all that, I think is more of a projection. I I feel like, and I'm not saying the coaches are, are, are worse than they were 30 years ago as far as being receptive, but uh, it might be, it, it definitely is better, but I still feel like that if you're a coach that is not doing it for reasons we've talked about because you're just maybe not open to it or you don't believe in it or, or you haven't done your research on it. That's one thing. But I think that's one of those things you mentioned earlier about checking a box. If we can check that box. I would go forward any part of the world as far as I'm concerned. The kids are ready. These kids are advanced. You know, it's like it's like evolution. <laughs> It's like, think about where, who you were as a 13 or 14 year old and think about these 13 or 14 year olds. You know, think about where you were as an eight year old. I just feel like these kids, especially again with the internet, they're, they're more educated, they're more worldly than we can imagine. And, and also go back to the COVID thing. I just think everybody is looking for something that's gonna make them feel better. And, Things like mental training and meditation. I mean, we're talking about deep connections with yourself, like getting past maybe some barriers, some stressors, some distractors. Um, so I guess the question was about the players. I, I just don't see it really as the players. I'm not saying there aren't some players it's going to be a tough sell. Maybe on some teams there's a lot of players that might be a tough sell. But I would say I would eliminate that as a – as a detractor to implementing the mental game. I would start looking at the opposite way. I would, and by the way, I have done this a long time. And anytime I've to talked to a coach about trying this and at first they're a little bit like, well, I don't know how the kids are gonna, I have told them all the same thing and I can't say 100%, but it feels like it's 100%. When coaches have done it, they gave me the feedback that I told them they were gonna get, which is you're gonna be shocked at how many of these kids, thank you, Afterward, this happened with sheets, by the way. 
that the day that she's committed to doing this every day or, or just implementing it at all, game changer. He, the, the kids love this. What kid does not want to learn how to slow down and get quiet and get relaxed or deal with some stressors or whatever? We, I think we, again, it's, there's some misperception going on there. I think that we forget these kids are humans and they're smart. And deep down, they all want to be healthy and they all want to let go of stuff that's not making them feel healthy or they want to learn ways to be more healthy. So Anyway, I just would go back to, you know, the integration piece is more from the coach. And, and, and let's just eliminate any reasons why, or as many as we can, as to why coaches think that this may be a, a tough sell. Oh, that's great. I may have stolen one line from you. I was listening to you in preparation for this on the Trotsky Baseball Ranch podcast, which is really good. And uh, Nate and, and Trent Mongero are running that, and, and they, they're doing a great job, so I want to make sure I highlight that. But you said, I, I ask one question to the kids, how important is the mental game? What percentage is it? And then they give it to you. And then you ask, okay, cool. Now, how much time daily do you spend on it? And then that kind of is your – is I, I maybe it wasn't word for word, but I found that as a way of, oh, okay, well, that's one of those question, questions that you kind of answer yourself, and it opens that door. For them so i i really like i really like that a lot yeah and i'm glad you brought that up and shout out to those guys those guys are as you said they're amazing and um and i've used that forever i've used that since day one that's also mm -hmm. been part of my presentation from day one which is you know I, and i always try to not be overwhelming or over dramatic so i use 90 percent instead of 99 even though i would say 99 at the highest level but sure i'd say okay from high school and up let, let's call it 90%, even if we said 80%, but let's just stick with 90 per, per second. If we all agree the game's 90% mental or more, and then you ask somebody, what percentage of time are you spending on the physical? They're going to say, you know, close to 100%. Now, nowadays, more kids are doing yoga and maybe some martial arts, and it's not out of the realm that they won't be able to, you know, have a, a, a bigger number on the mental side. But but let's say they even say that they're spending 10% a week instead of zero or 1%. And, and by the way, I always give players some credit for mental practice coming in physical practice because that's come up before and, and they do get some credit for that. But for just putting time aside for the purpose of just doing mental practice, it, even if someone is doing something on some, some of that on their own, again, call it you know, yoga uh, affirmations, but so they're doing 10% and you're saying, okay, you're plugging in, you're putting 10% of your effort into a part of the game. That's 90% or more. And I just feel like, like you said, and it was cool. You picked up on that, but it is a great entry into a player. And it's also a great entry into a coach because if you ask the coach the same question, what percentage of your practice plan is devoted to mental training, right? Like putting time aside for breathing, relaxation, visualization, et cetera. And I would say most coaches would say they don't have any time put aside, you know, or, or they have 60 seconds put aside to just stop from the classroom to the field and, and get yourself focused, which does count at 60 seconds or whatever it is. But so it's a, so Jonathan, we're back to the same point, right? So you can ask the mm -hmm. coach the same question, and all of a sudden, hopefully that's an entry into the coach because every coach that's played this game, been around this game is going to say high school, college and above. They're going to say it's 90 percent mental and more, give or take. Right. And right. if you follow that up with, OK, how much time are you spending? You stay on your practice plan. And if they can't say at least 20 percent, 15 percent, something, it's a great entry into a conversation. That's really good. And. One that, that I've, you know, thought about as well is players have a, a talent advantage uh, in a lot of times in amateur baseball and, and the higher that they go up, the less that is a competitive advantage for them. And so I guess the question for them also you could ask is once talent is no longer your separator, 
what what will be like what's going to separate you from from the other person that you're trying to beat out and you can't say hard work because i mean it's i know that's very cliche and it and it's and it's true on some levels but everyone works hard at the highest levels and so just trying to to find one and that may work for some it may not work for others but that would be another one i do want to switch gears and and let's talk about some practical applications within this you and Sheets did a fantastic podcast uh, with with Stick and Ball. I don't, oh, may it may have been a year ago now, but it was really really good. And you actually took him through a mental uh, game practice, or I guess it would be a a breathing exercise visualization. I uh, I encourage our guests to go listen to that. And then I think Sheets actually did one with his team on Twitter uh, this this last week, which uh, we're recording this in January. Uh, but but that is really good. And so I think a lot of coaches are familiar with the taking the five to 10 minutes to breathe uh, in front of practice. And like you've mentioned several times, there's a lot of research on that. And, and so they could probably find something fairly, fairly good within uh, well on the Internet with for that. But I want to know, how do we get back to center during practice? So thinking of just the five to 10 minutes before practice or in the classroom setting as the mental game, how do we interweave it within the practice itself? Wow, it's a great question. Well, look, it's just like physical practice, right? The more you establish stuff, the more you have a foundation, the more you have recall, the more it becomes habit forming, right? So if that's another reason why you wanna have a meditation, so to speak, every day, because you wanna to start to integrate and kind of weave in those, you know, neural pathways, if you will, the, that, that kind of training so that there's a presence there, right? There's a familiarity, um, there's a changing of behavior. And so, and then of course there's recall. So I would say number one, by the, the, the mental practice you do every day starts to create new habits, starts to become um, again, sort of your, your go-to, your recall. And, and, and it's just mm -hmm. presence of mind, right? You're doing it every day. Now you're aware of it. So now we're talking about a very important word, which is awareness. And then two, on top of the practice itself, which is hopefully changing behaviors and changing the person's state of mind and their state of body and so on. I like to say their, you know, their, their state of being. <laughs> I mean, now we're really getting deep. Mm -hmm. But you can also leave the practice with some other tools. Now we're getting more into game management. For instance, you know, the other part. So you did the mental practice. You're creating new habits. You're creating some intimacy with each player with their own, with their breath and how, how to relax, how to clear their mind and so on. But now you have also principles you build off of that. For instance, well, they're unconsciously and consciously just becoming more aware of their breathing from the meditation. Sure. They're becoming more aware of relaxation. They're becoming more present-minded, ideally, in these exercises. And so now you have little focal points, or, or I'm trying to think who came up with that term um, that I first heard it, but you have these anchors. And shout out to somebody who gave me the term anchors. It might have been Bob Rotella, or it might have been Ken, might have been Brian Kane. But you have these anchors, and now... You can recall those anchors and those anchors that you can recall have more energy to them because you're practicing them there every day versus if I just tell somebody during the middle of practice, hey, slow down and take a deep breath. I mean, that's a good start. Mm -hmm. But if they have a lot of stress going on or they're really or they're dealing with some fear based stuff, their mind is going to tend to default to that momentum or to that familiarity that they're caught up into some kind of engagement with, with their own mind, their own thoughts, right? Versus if you tell someone to slow down, stop, take a deep breath, and they've been working on that every morning or prior to practice every day, hopefully both. <laughs> now you have recall. Now you have familiarity. Now you have, you know, things in place that they can draw from. And again, this keeps going back to the same theme. Mental practice is not a couple of times a month. Sure. Um, you don't throw a couple of times a month. You don't do arm care a couple of times a month. You don't stretch a couple of times a month. You don't go to class a couple of times a month. You don't eat a couple of times a month. So we're talking about the engine of your car, your mind. So 
This is where to me it gets very clear and very simple, yet very deep, which is create that practice, create that familiarity, create education, so that as you said, when you go into practice and eventually, of course, in the games, you are drawing from it. I'll give you one last analogy and then we can move on. Sure. I've used this one before, which is it's like you put money into a bank account. So if you put like 10 bucks in because, you know, for the, you know, yesterday you did one minute meditation. So you put 10 bucks in, you have 10 bucks to, to withdraw from the bank. Um, maybe you get a compounding interest. So maybe you have $10 and five cents, you know, three days later. But if you put $10 in every day and three months into it, now you have $900 in the bank with compounding interest. There's a lot more money to withdraw from versus $10, right? That's a very simple analogy, but it gives you the idea of like, oh, I'm creating assets. I'm creating depth. I'm creating something that I can withdraw from. And by the way, you put $10 in a bank account once and then that's it. Not only do you only have $10 to withdraw from, but who's to say like that you're even aware of that $10 anymore because you don't have you know what I mean? It's like it's like a it's just like a, a little glimmer of, of light or whatever, There's a glimmer of something that's shining, trying to shine through versus you know, that's a good analogy. I use this all the time, the sun and the clouds. It's like ten dollars, imagine ten dollars versus let's let's make the number more like ten million. So the ten dollars is like the sun trying to get through the clouds, which we can just say are thoughts or stress or congestion or whatever. Okay. So you, you can maybe just sort of make out a tiny bit of light, but then the $10 million we can say are, are 10 million points of light, right? It's just like hot. It's like the sun is hot and on you. And to me, that 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 is why this is a daily practice. So I hope that made some sense. <laughs> oh, for sure. For sure. How important are routines uh, within the midst of practice. So I'm, I'm thinking, especially with hitting and pitching, there's a lot of downtime in between pitches. How important are those routines to get back one to present that, that breath focus. And then can you kind of walk us through how you would teach uh, routines as well? Yeah. So what we do is we, we build, and this is cool because we spent most of the time talking about mental practice. So now we're getting more into game management. And what we do, and I love it because it's, it, it took 20 years to get to this point, but fortunately, the last 10 years or so, all we talk about now with game management, the, the other part I mentioned at the beginning, is we talk about the process. And it's not just be process-oriented. That, that is a huge part of it. But we actually have players build their own process, so to speak, or routine to where it's their default. So as a simple example, so we can just kind of cut to the chase. If I'm working with a pitcher, I'll ask him or her, tell me three things that if you do these three things will lead to the best pitch of your life. And I'm, I'm not exaggerating. I mean, literally the best pitch of your life. Now, I'm not saying they always know for sure, but most of the time they do because really what they're defining is sort of their peak experience. They're defining who they are when they're unhittable. And so that stuff usually comes up pretty fast. So I'm going to make up, I'm going to say what mine is just to cut to the chase again. So for me, it's breathe because my breath has so much to do with my meditation, has so much to do with being present, has so much to do with being an instinct rather, rather than thought. A million reasons why I want to go to the breath. So that I'm giving you my present day, which what I would use. So I would breathe. Then as a pitcher, I would want a focal point. I always felt that if I had somewhere to go, it was like a magnet pulling me. So I wanted a focal point, unless I was just flowing, man. And that's the other thing that's like, it's getting, this is getting a little, a little deep now. But if we really want to talk about the ideal state of mind of an athlete, you know, they're just sort of like surfing the wave. They're, they're just flowing and they're riding their bike and, and it's just, they're, they're really not thinking about anything. But I love that. the process is there as their default, as a backup in case they, let's say, aren't in the flow or... They got, let's say, a bad call. They thought it was a bad call or they had a rough inning or whatever. I'm not even saying it was a bad call. I'm not even blaming the umpire. They may have been a good call, but they thought it was a bad call. See that? I always cover. I'm covering everybody here. 
So what we do is we build this process so they always have somewhere to go, like a mantra. And so that's sort of the in-game piece, Jonathan, that you were talking about. So let me give you the hitters now. And again, I ask the pitcher and the hitter, and we can do this for defense. We can do this for secondary leads. It doesn't matter. We can do any right. four-foot putts, 30-foot putts. There could be a process for anything. But in baseball, as we both know, if you're a hitter, you got to hit. Or I should say if you're a position player, yeah, you got to play defense, of course. But, I mean, you got to hit. If you're a pitcher, obviously you got to pitch. So we start there. And so with a hitter, I would say the same thing. And mine as a hitter, I just want to have a clear mind. So I'm going to say breathe, clear mind. And then my, my third piece was hit the ball hard. That, that was it. Like those were more my three go-tos. Okay. And so no matter where I'm at in a game, if I'm on the mound – well, hopefully I'm just locked in and flowing and I'm not thinking about anything. Like, like That's the state we all want to be in. We're in the zone. We're not thinking about anything. But at some point, if you feel like you need to get back to something to ground you or you need to lock back into something or for someone that's sort of new to the mental game and they haven't been consistent yet or just someone that wants to be more consistent, I have found that this is a overnight it's not even an overnight it's an over second if that's even a term impact on players players love this because it immediately gives them a place to go the place they're going is their process not mine it's what they told me are their two or three or four keys to the best pitch or at bat of their life so now it's empowering them and now they know that even if their mind thinks about something negative or goes in the future, goes in the past, they have a place to come back to. And it's not a thought. And so that to me is like the main piece we teach on the process or what we call, you know, the game management. And I am telling you to a person that I've done this with, they absolutely love it. It simplifies everything. I've, I remember I was out at U of A with, with um, Sean Cole who's a very, very good friend of mine. And they had just won the national championship the year before. And these are guys I thought, I don't want to say too much. You know, I just want to, just want to make sure I can give them a few good ideas. And mm -hmm. we broke, we broke this down in the bullpen and a number of guys, do you want to hear one of the greatest reliefs they said about learning this really simple process, the simple routine? They realized that they don't have to think about their mechanics anymore. And I just thought this is something that is probably across the board. It's probably three quarters of pitchers. That could be one of their greatest distractors is their mechanics. Not, not that there's not a, a place, of course, for mechanics. You know, to, I mean, obviously there's, there's tweaking and there's things that you need to do with players mechanically. Sure. Although don't get me started on mechanics because that's a whole other podcast feel Feel versus mechanics, but mm -hmm. but look, I, I understand that there's a time and a place, um, you know, where you're trying to help, you know, tweak some things and all that. Sure. But isn't that pretty cool? Like the feedback was like these kids had instant relief that they now realize that they didn't have to think about their mechanics. No, I love that, and, and again, I I love uh, just the the one the analogies but also the stories and i think that that's that's going to hit home with a lot of different guests that we have and uh, for me uh, it's it's something that that i wished i had as a player and something that that i want to continue to strive to get better at because i didn't really have that whenever i was playing and so i think that that's super important and an, an one more thing in regards it's not necessarily game management but it was something that i took a couple of months ago uh, Sue Inquist was was on a podcast with Michael Gervais, and she's for for the guests listening who don't know uh, Coach Inquist is she won eleven national championships at, at UCLA, and so one of the one of one of the things that, that just kind of blew my mind because I never had thought about it is, and and we have we 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 want to fail in practice, but do we practice failure recovery? And so one, we, we want to set up different things in practice to where we can test out the mental game strategies that we're using and, and how do we get back to the present moment focus. But she had a failure recovery station and she would teach them how to get back into the present moment. And, and I'm looking at it right now. I've got the Evernote file uh, pulled up and it says 
these are these were my notes and it said that they would practice failure recovery so they would put them in a different situation to where they would fail and step one would be to uh, like tap their chest and say my bad they would point out so however many outs they were had and then they would look at a, ta- a teammate and say i've got you i'm back and i absolutely love that i thought that, that was fantastic i don't know if you if you've heard that before but i'd love uh, to to hear your thoughts on that sue is just it sounds cliche-ish because she is, is UCLA, but I, I feel like John Wooden's presence in a way around, you know, around her, she is, she is just a unique, unique person. It's not an accident uh, how many national championships she's won. And, um, and that's the first time I've actually heard failure recovery like that way. And it, it's genius. It's sort of like systematic desensitization in a way. Um, but it's genius because it's on the field. It's it's real life stuff, and it's outside the box. But yet it 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 makes so much sense. And I my my feedback is simple. I think it's genius, and um, it doesn't surprise me because Sue is just that way. But I think it's something that we all need to work on because as as she said, you know these are things that are going to happen in a game, mm-hmm. and why would we not practice it, right? Right. Well, and I just, I guess I loved that she provided, and I'm sure there are some coaches out there who do, and I'm sure that you help with this with the different routines, but I love that she outlined a process for them to at least begin with to get back into the present moment. So one, I think this is something that I feel very strongly about is a lot of our players aren't as good as they can be because they're afraid of what other people think about them. And I think that once that we can, we can turn that upside down, then that's when we've got a a really good team that a team that's fearless, that's maybe, maybe they are, they do have fear, but they're not afraid of the outcome because they know that they're going to be brought back into the present moment, thanks to the team, the tribe that they're around. And so I just, I really like that because it it outlined a strategy for them, kind of like your, your pre-pitch routines that you were going over. And I, I love those, but this is kind of that after after action review, I guess you could say. But so the only other thing I'd like to add to that is that human nature on a lot of levels to worry about what other people are thinking or wanting to live up to certain expectations and, and you know peer pressure and all that stuff. I get it. But here's one of the other really cool things about the process. When you get someone to understand that those three things are the key to their best at bat or their best pitch, or their best secondary lead. You have taken away everything else. And so now, not only are you best positioned to excel, but you're in your best position to be a great teammate, right? You're in the best position for the greater whole because you're just taking care of your end. There's a great line about, if you want a beautiful lawn, be be a beautiful blade of grass. You know, I, I feel like, Things like worrying about other people's opinions, even though I know it's not unusual, especially when you're younger, if you get so consumed by your process, by those three things, I tell people, I know this seems extreme, but I mean this like 100%. Your job is to be 100% committed to your process. Nothing else exists, nothing. The time, the day, the year, the score, the opponent, Nothing exists because the art of you excelling to your best level, you have told me already, is A, B, and C. So if we know that A, B, and C satisfies your best execution of your plan for the best outcome possible. There's nothing else to think about. And the other, that's the other reason I love this approach with the process because now you've taken the thinking out of place. So even if a thought comes up about, yeah, but is that person going to judge me? Boom. Default. Back to your process. Yeah, but what about if I default to your process? And this, by the way, is why the mental practice and the meditation is so vital because you have to, it's like the failure recovery. And I'm going to steal that from you and Sue now. Well, what happens when you are, well, we can do a quick little mini breathing exercise, but what happens right now if you and I said, okay, let's just be quiet. We'll count our breathing. We'll get nice and relaxed. Well, based on studies out there, we have like supposedly 75,000 thoughts per day come through our mind. 
well, who's practicing every day, sitting there to be quiet, to hear what kind of thoughts are coming in our mind that may be distracting us or taking us down the wrong path or sabotaging us or punishing us or threatening us or just creating noise, distracting us, right? So if you're not spending time each day being quiet to just hear what's happening so you can practice like failure recovery, not engaging those thoughts, not getting attached to those thoughts, not getting preoccupied with those thoughts, but instead being what's called neutral to those thoughts and just watching them and just go, you know what, I'm going to come back to my breathing, just like your process. I'm going to come back to my breathing. I'm going to come back to... Oh, I'm on the I'm on a podcast right now with Jonathan. Let me be present there. Oh, my professor is speaking. Let me be present there. You know, my mom asked me to clean up my room. Let me be present there. So what happens now is you start becoming aware of what your thoughts might, where they might be taking you or distracting you to toward. And now you're giving yourself a chance to practice every day being neutral to that. To me, I love this. Now I'm going to call Sue about this. This is a failure recovery practice. So I just want to add in that piece that having a practice every day, one of the things that it can really help you do is practice hearing stuff that goes on in your mind that might be going on in your mind a lot more than you realize, but now at least you're aware of it and you can practice recovering or navigating away from it and not empowering it and not feeding it. And starting to put your attention and awareness where you want it to be. And, and what we can do, because I know we talked about this earlier, is we can just, well, maybe the way we could at least end this part of it is, is do uh, give coaches like even a 60-second overview of, of how they can take their players through a you know, basic breathing exercise. Please do. Okay. Number one, if they Google mental practice plans and Jager. There's an article I wrote uh, in collegiate baseball, literally walks you through a 10 minute breathing exercise. So they can go there. You can, you know, attach the link somewhere as well. Um, so I just want to make sure they know that. And also on YouTube, Jager mental talk. There's a 45 minute talk on the mental game and, and a guided meditation as well. And they can use those. And I send those links all the time to people to where they can take both of them and kind of merge them and kind of create different forms of, of, of meditations or mental practice exercises. But just for starters, maybe this is something that whoever's listening, if you're a coach listening, you can try this on your own. And then between the article and the YouTube video, or even this little practice that I'm going to give you right now, just play with this. And the way the practice works is this, just find a place to sit quietly, meaning turn off your cell phones, turn the TV off. If you have a, a wife or kids or a roommate, just let them know for the next 10 or 15 minutes that you're going to be doing some breathing or some relaxation. Um, and then two, wherever you do sit, um, just take like 30 seconds to become aware of the present moment. Like be aware of your body. What, what am I, where am I? You, we can do this right now, Jonathan. You can do it with me. You probably are doing it knowing you, but from what I gather about you, man, I, I think I'm on it, but Mm-hmm. What are where are your feet right now? What what are your are your toes touching the ground? Are your toes not touching the ground? What are you sitting on? Um, one thing I love to do it's a great it's actually a great meditation to do by itself. But if you just felt every part of something that's physical, like the ground, the chair, the back of the chair, and something that your body part is touching, that's physical. And if you scan your body and just notice where is my body not touching something and then you start going over the, the surface of where your body part is touching something to the point where it's not touching anymore and you literally scan your body and it's really cool because you'll notice that a part of your thigh is touching the chair but a part of your thigh isn't and where does it start and where does it begin? The second piece to this why it's so cool is that when you do notice what is supporting you and holding you in place, you then realize that, wow, if it wasn't there, then I would free fall through space. And what that can really do is help someone learn what it means to let go and relax and surrender 
And there's back to that word kind of vulnerability. Let it, let it go. So that's exercise one is to just practice letting that which is supporting you just notice it. Um, and then what I'd want someone to do is after they do that for a couple of minutes is then just go into a very basic breathing exercise. And you could do something as simple as inhale one, exhale two, inhale three, exhale four, and just count to 20, count to 30. That might take five minutes. But here's the last thing I'll say about the exercise. It's the number one tool. And I think it's one of the best tools you can learn about life. And I mentioned it earlier, which is neutrality. And what you do when you're counting your breath, inhale one and exhale two, is if a thought comes in, oh, I'm hungry. Or why am I doing this? You notice it. You don't fight it. You don't block it out. You don't push it away. You notice it. You watch it. There's no engagement with thoughts. You, that's the idea. You just watch it. You're neutral. And then you redirect your attention, which is also not a thought, back to where whatever you're doing. In this case, you're counting your breath. So now you're inhale three, you're exhale four, you're inhale five, you're exhale six. Some more thoughts come in your mind, no problem. Whatever, I'm on seven, inhale seven, exhale eight. And you play this little game where you're counting your breath and you're noticing that if thoughts come in the mind or emotions come up, you just notice them. You don't want to feed them. You don't want to engage them. You want to just notice them. And you just stay with this counting. And ideally, at some point, you even, it's like you have training wheels on a bike. At some point, you want to just ride the bike. So at some point, the idea is that you, you sort of fall into the breathing or you fall into relaxation. It's sort of like when you're in the zone in a game. Now you're not trying to do anything. Now you're just sort of existing. You're just sort of vibing. <laughs> and you, you just hopefully start feeling really relaxed. And you kind of don't really even notice thoughts anymore because you're, you're kind of more into that sun field. It feels like it's just warm or hot. And thoughts are like clouds. And you're not, you don't really sense or feel the clouds anymore because the sun is sort of taken over. So in review, because that was a lot, um, just start the meditation up by becoming aware of your body, becoming aware of that which is supporting you. That can be a nice little mini meditation to start with. And then once you sort of, and, and it also helps to, it's like your pregame before the game. It, it kind of gives you a nice setting before you start this breathing exercise. And then once you again, you know, Get yourself kind of grounded with this, this little mini exercise. Just count the breath. Inhale one, exhale two. And again, maybe count to 30. And see if you can stay with your breathing without being distracted. And it, again, it doesn't mean thoughts won't come in. It just means, did you engage the thoughts? Or were you neutral to the thoughts and you brought your attention back to the counting? And if you can just play with that exercise for like a week, and just notice. And hopefully at some point you get really good at just noticing the counting. And even if thoughts come in, you're like, no problem. I'm just going to come right back to my breath. And that to me is a great start as far as a mental practice. Oh, for sure. And, and Alan, I, I, I want to be the first and probably not the last person to say thank you for coming on the show. And thank you for really all you've done for the baseball community. I I can't think of how cool it would be to go to any park or along the country and having a piece of equipment, which is the J bands named after me, which is so, so cool. But I do want to just, you know, if you've got anything else, uh, I'm, I'm going to open up the mic for you here in just a second. But again, I, I did want to say again, thank you. Uh, you brought it today. It was awesome. And, and I know I learned and, and I'm going to implement a ton from this, but is there anything else that you'd like to tell our listeners before you go? No, man. I think the bottom line is um, that article and that YouTube talk, just invest some time and, and quote unquote, just, just go there, open that door. And just, just even if you're doing it for contrast, even if you're not sure this is for you or you have some reservations, my, my, my plea is that, and whether it's our stuff or somebody else's, I just think in this day and age, based on what we talked about earlier with the kids, um, and, and not just the kids, it's everybody. We're all dealing with a, a challenging time. And I would just say, 
you know, mortgage an hour out of your life for an afternoon or a few hours over the course of a week or a weekend and just delve into this and try some meditation, try some mental practices, try some breathing exercises. I think that people would be shocked at how much even five minutes of just breathing or five minutes of dedicated time purposefully to just sit can affect their life. I mean, I know it sounds dramatic, but I think I'm, I'm trying to get to that point where, where people start to say, okay, I, I've got 20 minutes to invest into an article or a YouTube video or, or 10 minutes of trying a breathing exercise myself. And I think I would just leave it on that note that this is now all about um, people helping people and, you know, and us, you know, looking into parts of life, um, especially as a coach, you're as a coach, you're a teacher, you're a guardian, you're, a, you know, you're a support system. And I just, I just feel like in this day and age, man, this is, <laughs> this is where we're at. This is just part of what we're all, I think, need to have as much accountability and responsibility for as possible. So the kids end up getting this. Thank you for listening to Ahead of the Curve. You can subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, which can include Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, or YouTube. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please share it on social media to help get the word out. Once again, thank you for joining us.